Sherry and I uh, welcome the audience and watchers uh, to this podcast episode of the ICA Health and Wellness Committee um, in January. Um, we have Sherry Rolf with us here today. Um, and um, Sherry, thank you very much for accepting the invitation and, and preparing for this podcast. Uh, we'll be talking about head and neck alignment for instrument playing. And let me introduce you first, and then we can we can go ahead and delve into uh, this topic. Uh, Sherry is sometimes called Doctor Doctor because she has an MD and a DMA. As a board certified otolaryngologist, head and neck surgeon with a DMA in clinical performance, she brings a unique perspective to the health and wellness of the clinicist. Sherry has performed as a soloist with the University of Louisville Orchestra, the Suwannee Festival Orchestra, the Winds of Montana, and the Cologne Chamber Orchestra. She has given both performances and presentations at a number of clarinet fests, as well as at regional clarinet and singularity events. Currently, Dr. Rolf plays in the Great Falls Symphony and is an artist member of the Yellowstone Chamber Players. Her publications have appeared in medical, veterinary, and lay journals. So, again, Sherry, thank you for accepting the invitation. Um, before we start, actually, I, um, when I did research on, on your expertise, I saw that uh, there was an article from, for, uh, from a number of years ago in which it said that uh, clarinetists save the conductor from dying. That was a that was a rehearsal at uh, one of one of the orchestra um, rehearsals, and the conductor suffered, I believe, stroke, if I remember correctly, or heart attack. One heart of attack, the, yeah. Heart attack. So you recognize that right on the spot. You rush there. You help the person, and uh, and you guys call for help, and <clears throat> with your assistance until people arrived, medical people arrived, uh, you were able to help that person, conductor, and then he recovered. So I thought that, uh, it's, well, that, that was a great blessing. You were there and you had the expertise, as well as, 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 well as the presence, <laughs> mental and spiritual presence to do that. Um, how did it happen, just in nutshells? It was a... At a rehearsal, and it's interesting that uh, uh, they titled the article um, something about um, saves conductor at rehearsal heart attack, but it wasn't a rehearsal heart attack. It was the real thing. Uh, no, I, uh, as we were rehearsing, I could see that he was just not feeling well, and he was, he was perspiring pretty much, uh, and... Uh, of course, the hall gets very warm, so that was not that unusual. And uh, he went over and sat down on the piano bench briefly, and he said, let's go ahead and take our break now. And uh, he walked off and went into his little green room. Um, I shook my head, and I said, I'm going to go check on Gordon. Something isn't right. Um, and I went, and he had locked the door on the green room. And um, so I banged on the door, Gordon, and he kind of limped over, I guess. Anyways, he opened the door and kind of fell back into his chair. And 
Um, you know, so I just I saw that he was diaphoretic, and I checked his pulse, and it was kind of thready. And I said, uh, "You're having a heart attack, and uh, this is not where you need to be. <laughs> we need to get you to the hospital as soon as possible." So. So well, you well your um, um, MD medical expertise came very very handy, and I'm sure you had other uh, stories that uh, you helped um, uh, people uh, performers with your medical expertise, as you have decades behind you in the clarinet world as well as in the medical world. So you are a head and neck specialist, um, Sherry, and we will be talking about the hack and neck alignment. For, for instrumental, for clarinet playing. Um, let's take it from the general. Uh, what, what can we say about the whole body regarding clarinet playing or clarinetists? I think it's important, Saba, that um, we realize that the entire body is involved in playing the instrument. Uh, we uh, study and we get so involved in um, just the embouchure and then the hand position and wiggling the fingers appropriately. Um, and a lot of the other aspects of the body are just totally ignored, essentially. So um, I, I think that's one thing that it's just important to realize that it's not just bringing in air blowing air through the instrument and getting the fingers in the right place at the right time. Um, it, uh, if you don't think of the whole thing, um, the parts just don't seem to work as well together. So the head and neck uh, relationship as well as function um, have or has a really profound effect on the whole body um, and it begins with the foundation as you say what is the foundation regarding the head and neck that we can pinpoint we can talk about well the spine is probably the most central uh, to the position of the head and neck it really supports the head and neck um, and there are curves in the spine. It's uh, shaped kind of like an S. Um, that is, uh, as a result of that, the spine is able to support more weight. Um, if the spine were straight, um, we wouldn't have nearly the flexibility and the you know, weight-bearing um, uh, capabilities. Um, for me, um, one of the most interesting things is how um, how the head balances on the body. Um, I think maybe alignment um, might be better uh, served as uh, balance of the head and neck. Now, it all starts with the uppermost 
vertebra, um, which is known as the atlas. Of course, atlas carried all the, the world. And um, the atlas in our, uh, the top of our neck carries the weight of our head. Um, the head, uh, the skull rather, uh, has two um, condyles, they're occipital condyles. And they're sort of like, um, mm, I wouldn't say cup-shaped, but um, they're shaped to uh, fit into um, into the axis, uh, into the, uh, into special grooves that are in there to receive it. Um, and the reason I think this is so important is that if you get the head balanced right, um, it takes very little energy to um, to support it because it's engineered, if you will, to support itself on the spine. How does that, the head being balanced on the top of the atlas or the AO joint help with, with generally uh, clonal playing and, 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 and performance? Well, there are a number of reasons why it's important and why it helps. Um, if you think about a rocking chair, um, if you walk up to a rocking chair, it's just sitting there, right? I mean, it's balanced on its rails. Now, let's suppose you tip that rocking chair forward. Um, if you want it to stay in that position, it's going to require a certain amount of effort on your part um, to, to hold it in that position because that's not really where it wants to go. And so the same is true with our head. Um, and the reason why that's important is because there are a lot of muscles hooked up in the neck um, to the base of the skull. And when you... Uh, when you think about it, if you're having to expend energy or tension to keep your head in an unnatural position, well, all of those muscles are working to do things that they wouldn't necessarily need to do. And a lot of people don't realize that um, there's a muscle called the levator scapulae that comes from the base of the skull, hooks into the back of the scapula, and helps keep your scapula uh, lifted up. Now, if that muscle gets tense, the next thing that's going to happen is all the muscles downstream from that are going to get tense too. And so you're expending a lot of energy, creating a lot of tension in the body, and um, I've seen some people play with so much tension that it's um, scary. Um, but that's not a free and natural way to play, and it expends um, a lot of unnecessary effort and puts a lot of stress and strain. Absolutely. 
And if the levator scapulae is connected from the base of the skull to the scapulas, then um, if those are tense, I believe, then the breathing apparatus is restricted to. Besides, that, that tenseness can go on to the arms, the upper extremities, and cause malfunction to any degree uh, possible. You're absolutely spot on with that. Um, that's what I meant when I said once that muscle gets starts getting tense, the, the tension follows downstream, down into the arm and the hand. And you're right. Um, the other thing about the neck is that um, there are an awful lot of nerves that run down through and around these muscles that are in the neck. Um, one especially um, is um, comes out between the scalene muscles, which are other muscles that are um, uh, hooked to the base of the skull. Um, and it goes down and just the nerves weave in and out and around and merge and emerge. And I, I refer to it as the electrician's nightmare. Uh, it's, it's something you memorize in school, but unless you're a neurologist or um, you're involved in doing like uh, interscaling blocks as an anesthesiologist, um, it's something that you, you, you know, once you pass the test, uh, <laughs> you can call an electrician to fix it after that. That's right. And so besides nerves and muscles, you know, we have the arteries there, we have our windpipe there, right. uh, <clears throat> the, the uh, base of the tongue is pretty much in, inside um, the, or among those neck muscles. Uh, right. holding. So it is, as I really loved what you say, that what happens in the neck doesn't stay in the neck. Right. And so I, I absolutely see that. And so that's why it is so crucial uh, why, what, what is happening in the neck and head area, head area and how that affects the rest of the body. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about the atlanto-occipital joint. You mentioned a few things about it, that there are some grooves on it and it upholds the, uh, uh, the, the cup uh, gliding bottom of the skull um, so it, it better really glides and aids us in, in moving the head. Um, yes. what, what are some other functions that it might be important for a clarinetist to know about the AO uh, joint in relation to this? Well it's an interesting thing that the center of the gravity center of gravity of the head is kind of forward. And something that I have observed in a lot of clarinetists is that as they play, the head goes forward. Now, when that happens, as we said before, it expends a certain amount of energy to try to keep the head in that position because that's just not naturally where it belongs. And if over a long period of time, uh, this person continues to play like that, pretty soon they're going to uh, walk 
hunched over. Sometimes you've seen people with a, a lump on the top of their uh, uh, back. Uh, it's called a dowager's hump. Um, and uh, the head just keeps moving more and more forward, um, which affects the balance of the whole body. Um, short term, and I mean, that is if you're talking just about when you're playing the clarinet. Um, again, you have the issue of having uh, the muscles in the back of the neck uh, working harder than they need to. Uh, to support this unnatural position. And not only that, as you said, the um, larynx and trachea uh, are here uh, inside. Uh, they bend, they have to bend a little bit too. Um, and so that's bound to uh, influence the airflow to maybe to a minuscule extent, but to some extent for sure. I, I would I would say position of the tongue as well. So it's all, all the factors, mm -hmm. you know, the root of the um, 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 the tongue at the hyoid bone. So that goes right. with it. Since it's a uh, hyoid bone is uh, suspended by muscles, so that is one one bone that is not connected to any other bone on the muscles. It's the it is in fact the only bone in the body that's not connected to, directly to another bone. Yeah. So, thank you. Um, so, our goal as musicians, clarinetists, to play tension-free, because when we don't have tension, our muscles are flexible. They are toned, though, but they are flexible still, and they don't carry necessary, unnecessary burden, unnecessary weight. They are not um, posed into unnecessary positions, so they really um, able to move and function the way it, it was intended for the body. Um, how do we attain that tension-free playing? And and once we attain, or before we attain, how do we recognize? Because some of us might be in a position for decades, or for years, or for months that we are not even aware of our tendencies, but uh, you know, if something is off, how do we recognize that you're off? Well, sometimes, um, uh, you mentioned the Alexander technique earlier, and uh, he was able, uh, when he lost his speech, by self-observation in a mirror, over a period of time to come to the realization that um, the alignment was screwed up, so to speak. And he was able to self-correct that. Now, I think a lot of people um, are not capable of doing that. Um, so, again, uh, a course in Alexander Technique was extremely helpful. Uh, to try to get into that neutral, natural position that will let you uh, let you play more freely. Uh, that would be, I think, the most helpful thing for most folks. Now, another thing that we haven't really mentioned is that uh, 
how many times have you seen someone play and when they start to play their shoulders come up like this okay and um that is um, if if an instructor sees that yeah point it out for sure um if uh the, the teacher sees that, uh, you know, the student is uh, uh, leaning his or her head forward to play. Yeah, point that out. See if, um, see if there's, if, if you can help them get it fixed. Um, one thing that uh, I like to think of is that the ears and the shoulders are mortal enemies. Explain a little bit. Well, what I mean by that is um, you don't want to let them get close together. You want to keep the ear and the shoulders as far apart as you reasonably can, which means not this in any way, but just a relaxed position um, where the ear is far away from the shoulder. <laughs> It is, um, I, I catch myself sometimes having shoulders a little bit micro-tensed and it's sometimes harder because the emotional content of the piece would require me to uh, summon up some, some emotions in me that, that might make me raise my shoulders. So, and I have to intentionally see that my body is a little bit separate from that emotion I, I may express, I may do that, but um, not fully put my body into that particular emotion that might make me raise my shoulder. So, um, so going on shoulders and the arms, um, you, you wrote and said that the arm movement exerts compressive force on the entire cervical spine. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? What, what do you mean by compressive force? Well, whenever you do anything with the arms, like we've said, um, they're hooked on uh, to muscles that come down from the skull, from the neck. And so whenever you, whenever you do certain arm movements, it's going to cause um, it's going to cause various tensions on the cervical spine. Um, and uh, that's pretty much, um, uh, I guess, what I was alluding to. Um, so compressive force um, you, it means tension. Right. Tension, I think, is our um, key word here uh, today. Okay. Um, you also um, mentioned that there is a downward pull uh, when there's tension. How do we feel the downward pull, or is that easy to feel? Um, I don't think it's really very easy to feel. Um, the muscles in the back of the neck are always in a certain state of tension because the uh, head's center of gravity is is forward, and so those muscles uh, are always being stretched um, 
and uh, they have to be in order to keep the head from toppling off. Uh, I don't know. It's very difficult, I think, to um, a person has to be extraordinarily perceptive to uh, try to pin down where all these uh, uh, where their tension areas are. Um, uh, for me, it's the rhomboids. Okay. Um, and uh, okay, when I think about it, I can get everything to relax. But if I'm actively doing something, um, an example would be um, riding a horse for a long distance. Um, the muscle will let me know that I'm doing something that it doesn't like. You know, it'll start to burn um, and it'll hurt because it's saying, hey, I don't like what you're doing to me. Now, that's a, um, that example is like just too obvious. But to say, how are you going to um, diagnose your neck tension? Um, I think, uh, again, kind of referring back to your Alexander technique, um, one of the best ways to try to figure out where your tension is and try to alleviate it is um, a body scan. That being where um, you lie quietly and um, I don't know, some people start at the foot, a lot of people start uh, at the top of the skull and um, just in your mind work your way all the way down or all the way up the body. Um, And pretty soon uh, after you've done that, or the first couple of times, it's it's not that easy because you got tension everywhere that you haven't noticed. Um, but after a while, uh, by practicing that, you can you can really self-diagnose, um, and you can actually feel um, the body areas that you have consciously told to relax. You can feel them starting to tense back up again, um, even though you've just uh, assigned a command, uh, don't do that, relax. But once you know those spots, uh, it's much much easier to, to work on those issues. Thank you, thank you. So what you suggest, um, it would be something like either relaxation or meditation and then pretty much scanning through your body. Would you say it would be a standing, a sitting, or a, a laying down semi-supine position? Which one would be um, more reasonable? Um, I think for most folks, it's easier in the supine position, lying down flat. Um, and it doesn't have to be a rigid surface, although it can be. Um, you can stretch out in bed and and scan all the way up or down your body. Um, or you could lie on the floor. You could uh, lie on the couch and, um, and do it. I think the important thing about it um, is moving, visualizing um, 
that area of your body and moving through it and uh, you can, and feeling it uh, give way and relax. Thank you. Um, let's go to the muscles um, a little bit. Uh, what, what are the functions of the muscles? Um, and I'm talking about basic function. Um, sometimes, you know, we know muscles as uh, uh, moving the body, uh, the, you know, function for that, or, or smiling. It might be an obvious function of the muscles, but what are some of the other functions that we might not think of? And it's, it is important that we know those functions so that we don't misdiagnose it. Well, at a very basic level, every muscle's function is to contract and to relax. Um, and muscles are paired so that you, when you have um, a muscle contract, the opposing muscle relaxes. And, and again, this goes back to the balance thing. Um, so there are some muscles that function statically. Uh, again, the, the, the nuchal muscles here on the back of the neck, um, they have a certain baseline of tension uh, that, they, that they just have to have. Um, but they also serve to stretch the spine. So they serve not only to keep your head, uh, hopefully not on your shoulders, but um, on your uh, atlas. Um, they, um, they also, when they contract, tend to uh, stretch out the spine, which um, it's a very good thing. Um, as you know, uh, the intervertebral discs uh, compress over time. And uh, uh, well, that's why as we age, we get a little shorter. Okay, that's good. So muscles also stabilize, right? Yes. So whether it's the head or as you mentioned, the balancing thing, um, it's pretty much a stabilization uh, function. And then they also suspend when you talk about the shoulders. You know, the shoulders are essentially suspended over, right. the, over the ribs. Um, they're not uh, tied to the ribs, but, you know, through the muscle, and they are suspended over it. Um, and as well as the chest. That was, uh, to me, that was uh, a little revelatory that uh, you mentioned that um, um, the muscles suspend the chest as well. Because I didn't think of the chest as being suspended on the shoulders. Why, why is it good to know that the chest is suspended? I think it helps helps you when you think about it develop a more relaxed uh, breathing. Um, because the chest, well. It's also hooked onto the spine, but the rib cage in the front is definitely suspended. And um, again, you have the situation where if you have if you have the suspension muscles pulling up 
on the chest, it's going to be hard to take a good, full, relaxed breath. Yeah, absolutely. It, it totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. And I can see that the tension in the neck that spreads onto the shoulders uh, mm -hmm. pretty much will spread onto the chest since the shoulders are over the whole mm -hmm. um, rib cage and uh, and the chest muscles are over the rib cage as well. So. Now, um, interestingly, um, earlier uh, you mentioned the uh, hyoid bone and um, there is a muscle called the omohyoid, very interesting little muscle that um, plugs in uh, back under the under the tongue and the chin and just kind of circles around the highway. It's, uh, it's kind of like a fulcrum for it. And then it plugs in just over the top of the scapula. So here we go again with the tension here. Uh, this is a muscle that uh, you're going to engage whenever you form your embouchure, and uh, it and its buttons um, are going to be involved whenever you move your tongue. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So thinking about muscles, I mean different muscles of the body and their relation to the tongue, uh, medically, is there any relationship between the front, frontal abdominal muscle contraction and the tongue? Um, I really, there's no really direct relationship that uh, of which I'm aware, um, but it's all hooked together ultimately. Absolutely. Um, now, next, um, We mentioned, you know, balance, and we mentioned tension-free playing, um, and and mentioned the head, mentioned the spine, uh, and mentioned some functional anatomy as well as muscle function um, regarding posture. Um, so, what are the, the the benefits of an, an optimal or balanced posture that we might gain? There's so many that I'm not quite sure where to begin. <laughs> um, let's start um, at the feet. If you're if you're balanced, um, the balance really starts with the foundation, which is our feet. Um, so we want to make sure that they're um, the weight is evenly balanced and. You don't have too much weight on the heels or too much weight on the toes, which is going to cause tension that's going to creep up the legs. Um, from there, uh, you just want to keep um, the legs in a relaxed position. You don't want to clamp the knees. Locking the knees is very bad. Um, and then we work our way on up, uh, and again, we got the upper body now, we're balanced. We got the head where it belongs. We've got the tension out of the shoulders. So 
we bring the instrument up to us as opposed to coming to get it. And that will help maintain it, um, maintain this posture while you're um, while you're playing. Now, if you're sitting to play, your balance comes from the uh, ischial tuberosities. Those are the sits bones, um, and so it's important again to have everything above be in balance. To have the sits bones. Um, Uh, underneath of us in a way that they are supporting us and not in a way that the back of the chair is doing most of the work. The the slouch position. um, Some of the uh, uh, elder statesmen of clarinet playing uh, will recall Robert Marcellus, and his posture when playing was just, I mean, he slouched in the chair, had his legs crossed at the ankles, and so for a while, at least while I was growing up, that was the faddish thing. Everybody tried to sit like Robert Marcellus. Well, maybe not everybody, but a lot of folks did. Um... Part of the uh, the thing was these guys in that era had developed a pretty good gut on them. And so um, that, for one thing, made it a little more difficult for them to sit in a perfect upright position. Uh, it was pulling them down. Um, but truly, you're not going to breathe as well if you're in that position as if you're balanced. I don't know. I think I went off on a tangent. I'm not sure I answered your question. Well, you, you, you mentioned a few things. So what are the benefits of a balanced position? That's, that, that was the main question. And so we could say that uh, there's less uh, energy expenditure, less work on the muscles. Right. What, what could you say? What else uh, could be beneficial for us? Like if there's any stress related benefit. I, I mean physical um, stress. Excuse me? Uh, what I mean is physical stress related benefit. Well a balanced posture will definitely keep you from uh, having your head pull forward and uh, lead into the hunchback, round shoulder kind of, uh, because the farther you, your head is forward from where it's supposed to be, the greater the the load, uh, just because of the angles. Uh, kind of like they taught us in physics, you know, you're, you're putting more stress on the system as you um, increase the angle. Uh, at the back of the neck. I think that's the most important thing is to uh, try to keep your head on. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the S curvature of the spine and the humping uh, or hunching forward. Um, and I think when that happens, that also changes 
the quality of the cur spine's curvature, right, to a detriment. That is true. That is true. Um, the um, um, the um, cervical spine is lordotic, and and that means that um, it, it curves toward the back. Um, on the other hand, in the chest, uh, it's kyphotic, which means that it goes forward. Then as you go down into the lumbosacral area, again, the uh, concavity is forward. Um, and uh, the coccyx finishes out the, the S. Um, so uh, when your head goes forward, you are decreasing... Um, you're decreasing the curvature of the cervical spine. Um, and uh, again, over a long period of time, um, it's going to lead to, again, the permanent uh, uh, forward leaning of the head. And of course, that's hooked onto the chest. So the chest is going to do what it can to try to compensate for that. Um, yeah. And also, I think we also put um, unnecessary stress on the discs between the vertebrae um, on the frontal part, right? That's true. Yeah, you don't want them. The spacing should be pretty even, but then when you compress those discs, um, it can lead to uh, disc herniation over time. Um, not a pleasant thing to have, I'm told. Yeah, absolutely. So that actually, let me just circle back a little bit about to, about to uh, Robert Marshall's uh, pose or posture as he was playing. How do you think it can be that although um, based on your experience, what you saw, um, he had a really bad posture. So crossing the legs, which restricts uh, blood flow, tenses up muscles, not just in, in the legs, but also in the back, lower back. Um, having the, the back of the seat um, upholding you, uh, having the seat bone uh, not really in the way, or even the, 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 the sacrum not in the way, and the spine not in the way that it's, um, it's supposed to and normally, and still he produced a beautiful sound. I'm sorry, my man. That was my phone. No problem. So how do you think he can, he could still manage to produce a beautiful sound or maybe an, an effortless uh, sound as well as probably an effortless uh, body posture, um, medically speaking. We used to think that the way he was slouched in the chair enabled him 
to breathe more deeply and fully and get more uh, air into the lungs. And then um, if he was getting nearer the end of a long passage, um, he would simply compress down even more to get that last bit of air out. Um, I don't know. I mean, he was absolutely remarkable. Um, but um, his teachers uh, kind of did the same thing. So maybe not to that extent. Uh, uh, when you look in the Bernard Compendium for clarinet, and he's got uh, some line drawings in there of, of clarinet players, and one has um, that, that slouched, awful posture. But the other one is sitting there with his head way forward, and that's lousy posture too, just in a different way. Um, and I've oft, I've oft looked at those diagrams and thought, wow, you know, this is what a lot of people are looking at when they're in their developmental stages of playing. So that, so that tells me that he might have had the perfect awareness of his body and still he, he couldn't manage to um, not manipulate but to um, to bring into balance in, in those extreme positions if he had such a line drawing of, of people's skeletal uh, posture. Um, whatever it was, it worked for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like uh, um, you know, you look at uh, some of the elite athletes and um, you know, baseball pitchers. You know, all the, you can't throw a ball like that. Yeah. Well, he's making I don't know how many million dollars a year by doing that very thing. Now, he might not do it forever. I mean, that's a much more uh, strenuous and activity, so it's not really a direct comparison. But it's just the idea that um, some people are so uh, gifted or talented at certain things that they can get them to work even though they really shouldn't. It's like bumblebees can fly. But if you take it to an aeronautical engineer, he would say, oh, this ain't going to work. You know? So I got to shrug my shoulders on that one. Okay. That was just a question that really popped in my head as you were um, talking about it. Um, what are some of the um, some of those external um, helpers that we can we can turn to? You mentioned the Alexander technique, or a third eye, or a third ear, to uh, mm -hmm. second person to to look at you um, to pinpoint uh, things for you. What are some of the things you have? either experience or you can you can recommend and what are what are the reasons for those in your experience and expertise in terms of um improving one's balance yeah. balance posture awesome. uh, tension releasing tension and uh, getting uh, the, the necessary awareness As, as you mentioned, one is Alexander Technique. 
Right. And there are other things like Feldenkrais. Um, oh, what's the one? The Pilates uh, uh, can be helpful for that. Yoga can be very helpful. Um, but uh, caveat emptor here, um, there are no certifications for yoga instructors. So it's difficult sometimes to know whether the yoga instructor uh, really knows what he or she is doing. Um, so my question, you mentioned Pilates and, um, and, and, and roping. Um, what are those two? Well, rolfing is a um, very deep massaged sort of technique. Um, uh, it actually goes in uh, almost to the point of pain, or sometimes actually in the pain. And the idea that they have is that um, it's a progression of these um, massage, they aren't really massage, that's, that's misleading. Massage makes you think, ah, this is more of a, not in the moment is it going to feel that great, but it's a kind of delayed reaction. And once a person has gone through the whole uh, gamut of uh, stages, supposed, supposedly, uh, your muscle memory remembers and that uh, you can maintain that state um, of your body forever. Um, personally, I think that's a little bit of a stretch just simply because um, we all have bad habits and, you know, even though um, uh, Ida Rolf may have had, and by the way, I'm not related to her, um, even though uh, uh, she may have come up with this and, and the idea was was great, and it is great, um, I don't think it's a permanent fix. Just my opinion. Now, Pilates, uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, that familiar with it. I've never done it. But again, it's an exercise technique. And um, uh, I, I don't want to confuse here the Pilates techniques with the Feldenkrais method, but um, it evolved. Uh, if I if I'm misspeaking here, uh, please tell me. But as I recall, it evolved, um, um, was developed by a prisoner of war. I, I am not as familiar with uh, Pilates in general. I know that uh, Pilates has uh, places emphasis on the mind and body connection. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, but, and it's a 20th century thing. Uh, but I would have to look into that exactly. Um, who did that and, and how? Yeah, that, 
as I sit here, I, that's probably that's probably not correct. But again, and I think Pilates relies more on um, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, uh, well, toning and, and stretching, of course, are part of it. But they uh, use equipment. Um, so it's not just as... Uh, I mean, the equipment makes it much easier to, to stretch and strengthen the muscles that um, they're aiming to work with. Um, and the other techniques don't really use the equipment, okay. I believe. Okay. As far as I um, know, yes, we uh, body mapping, algorithm technique, held and cried, they don't use yeah. any equipment. Um, gentle touch and guidance, mm -hmm. as well as um, drawing, sketches, and timing. Great. Um, so, in conclusion, what would you say, um, Sherry, as a, as, a, as a head and neck, shoulder uh, specialist, and you've had a lot of head, neck, and shoulder under your head in the, in the past decades, what would you say, what, what would be some of the words that you could summarize for clarinetists? Relax. Balance, breathe. In that order? Um, no, I think I would breathe above all else. Um, breathing is good. Uh, we get all upset if people stop breathing. Um, relaxation uh, will actually help with the balance. So, um, so breathing, I think, but breathing should be relaxed and not forced. Um, uh, tightening the abdomen to try to breathe that does nothing um, except creates tension. Um, so breathing and relaxation are really sort of uh, intertwined. And then what we've been talking about all along is the balance thing. Yeah, absolutely. Would you say uh, head balance? You, you would put that ahead of other uh, parts of the body? Well, where the head goes, the body follows. And uh, so if you get the head where it belongs, and interestingly, uh, once you've had someone uh, guide you, and it's amazing that it feels amazing. It doesn't feel like your head's in the right spot. But once you've been able to work with that for a while, it just becomes... Standard. Yes. It's it's actually magical. I've had that uh, feeling uh, quite a few times in my in my career, and it is great. It's like 
has a feeling of floating, like you're in the moon a little bit. You don't yeah. feel gravity as much. Just natural. Agree. Agree totally. Um, and it's sad that it's um, so little talked about, like within the medical profession. I think uh, I think traditional medicine is starting to come around and look at more um, cause and effect, muscle balance things that can be remedied um, without the need for muscle relaxants or uh, other such crutches. And that's really, really good. Absolutely. Sherry, um, I think we've talked talk about a lot of things, a lot of good things. Um, so we hope that it was very beneficial to the audience. And um, I, I thank you for being here with us and also um, uh, spending this time and, and sharing your expertise with us. So we really appreciate it. And I thank you very much for um, asking me to be with you on this. Um, I think it's very important um, to the health and wellness of not just clarinetists, but all musicians. Absolutely.